Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Frontside Podcast, episode 85. My name is Charles Lowell, developer and your podcast host in training. With me today is Elric Ryan. Hello, Elric. Hey, what's up? Not much. We're actually, uh, well, I shouldn't say not much. I should say a lot. We're making history today on uh, the Frontside Podcast because we're having, for the first time, an actual doubleheader, a guest doubleheader. We said it jokingly at the end of last podcast, but we made it a reality. Uh, So we have... With us today, back on the show, Mr. Jay Phelps. Woo-hoo. Hello. All right. <laughs> awesome. So Welcome back. back. Yeah, we're going to talk about WebAssembly because that is a hot topic. I'm excited about it. You're excited about it. I think everybody is excited about it or at least you know, really wants to understand what this means for the landscape of JavaScript development and web development in general. Sure. So let's jump into it. Now, like I said, I first heard about it uh, about six months ago. I immediately you know, rushed to check it out because I was kind of excited about all the things that I might, may or may not be able to do with it. And so I'm curious, what are the things that you find very personally exciting about WebAssembly? Well, I would say for me, WebAssembly is exciting because it opens up so many new doors when it comes to programming languages. And then when you are able to use other programming languages very efficiently, you can do a lot more things. You can do more complicated things. You can do more system-style programming. You can do more games. You can do faster algorithmic stuff. It's also a good target for language experimentation. So mm-hmm. like programming languages like Reason or Elm could target WebAssembly and not only become a popular language, but also become a fast language maybe even rivaling JavaScript in their implementation. So those are the fundamental things that I'm excited for um, when it comes to WebAssembly. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to, at the start, basically take a little step back and, and kind of explain what is WebAssembly. Because I imagine a lot of people have heard of it, but they don't actually know even the basics of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's probably some misconceptions as well. So it's basically, WebAssembly is basically a like this portable bytecode designed specifically for the web. Mm-hmm. And why do we need some special bytecode specifically for the web? Well, mainly because currently all the languages are compiling down to JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And besides it being an ASCII text-based, like it's an ASCII text-based format, compilation format, which is not ideal as far as file size, JavaScript also just wasn't, obviously wasn't designed to be a compilation target. So there are, you know, performance um, issues like they, they, you know, there was the ASM.js initiative spearheaded by Mozilla many years ago, and it was successful in, in letting projects like MScript and compile C and C++ to like a subset, a very strict subset of JavaScript that mm-hmm. could be optimized very efficiently by the browser. And that works. It was able to get faster performance than, you know, compiling to just regular JavaScript. But with WebAssembly, they'll be able to get even better performance. And not just runtime performance, but also better over-the-wire performance as far as smaller, uh, significantly smaller file sizes, um, faster parsing time. It was designed very specifically to have an incredibly fast parsing time, like one of the fast, if not the fastest, um, yeah. Of any compilation target, like like I mean, you, you can know, kind GDM of and yeah, like I mean, all, you can all, the, all these other virtual machines. Like they're they're designed to be fast, but there's a lot of innovative things about WebAssembly that make it at least make the potential 
obviously it's it's early in in the in the revolution of WebAssembly. So all the browsers have an implementation of WebAssembly in their code base. Edge and Safari have not yet shipped theirs, but it's workable and, and it works. Mm-hmm. And so it's still early. And so there's kind of going to implement a MVP, a V1 of the specification, and they're going to do it as simply as possible at first. And then right. over the years, we they'll iterate and improve the performance of it, but they're not going to hit a brick wall as quickly as they would if they were just continuing with the JavaScript as a compilation target. Right. And then they can add the other thing is they can add brand new features too without needing to like they can add things like threads or a specialized syntax for doing garbage collection and struct creating. There's a whole bunch of things that they can add that if they were if we were still compiling down to JavaScript, we wouldn't be able to do that. Right. Let's unpack a couple of those things uh, that you mentioned there. Now, uh, so the WebAssembly format uh, is actually, you know, it's a binary format, uh, as you're mentioning. It's it's not an actual, it's not meant for humans to be able to read. So that's how efficient it is, is it's just a set of instructions that are just binary words. And, and I think what you're saying in terms of parsing is the idea is like you can take those words and you can just thunk them straight into memory. Like you hardly even have to do any parsing, right? Is that kind of what you mean by efficient parsing? That's exactly um, right. Yeah, yeah. There, it is significantly more. And it's also designed as a stack machine language, which also helps so that they can do a single pass verification. So mm-hmm. a lot of languages and, and some bytecodes, you have to do multiple passes over the entire file to verify it. Like you'll build up some sort of dictionary and then you have to do another pass based on that first one. But they huh. very explicitly designed both the spec and fundamentally using a stack machine language helps to make it so that they can do the verification in, in a single pass. I wonder if this is the same reason that you know Java also has uh, a stack-based virtual machine. That's right. Um, and I don't know if that was the reason they did that I, in Java, I, I, or I'm not more just like it's simpler to model on multiple different actual architectures. I'm not sure whether why they used why they decided to do a stack. I know I do, but I do know that JVMs is it's a stack machine sort of. There's some still some register stuff, and it's kind of like a morph between them. They have kind of different modes that you can use. That that actually kind of segues into a great question, which is people a lot of people ask, well, isn't this you know Java applets again? Like why didn't they even just use the JVM or why didn't they use the mm-hmm. CLR or or LLVMIR? If these terms aren't familiar for, to you, you can you know you don't have to worry about it. But the the short gist is actually just that none of those things were designed with the same goals in mind for the web. So the, the incredibly small file size, like as small as, as possible, that doesn't mean it's going to be mm-hmm. uh, that all your files are going to be small. It just means that it's going to be as efficient as possible that they can. The fast parse times and the portability. And, and then also interoperability with the web, um, backwards compatibility, like you know, the web cannot ever break, well, not never, but almost never break backwards compatibility Mm-hmm. So that's really important. And then also licensing and stuff like that, like the CLR and JVM have licensing concerns right. and issues like that. And I think and, that uh, also they've got, uh, you know, it's got the, it's just the scope, at least right now, is a lot smaller. Like did the JVM and the CLR have a huge footprint when it comes to the way that memory is managed, whereas the way I understand it, at least today, now you, you mentioned garbage collection, and I definitely want to talk more about that, but the way I understand it is that today there is no garbage collection so if you want to get down and dirty uh, and you want to be managing your memory 
by hand, that's an option that's available. In fact, it's right now it's the only option that's available to you. But it means that it it does mean that you know your hands are kind of tied by a CLR or a JVM, where you know you can't opt out of that. That's right. You can't opt out of that. But the fact that they were grand, like like LLVMIR, I think was would be the uh-huh. closest candidate, just because. So now, it what is, is LLVMIR? LLVM stands for Low Level Virtual Machine, but it's not a virtual machine in the sense that most people are used to, like it emulating an operating system or something like that. It still emulates the instructions of an operating system, but it's for compile time stuff. So it's a library that the most popular compilers that target native code use. And so they use that library to abstract away the target platforms. So let's say I'm writing a compiler. And I want to target iOS, Android, I want to target uh, Mac OS X, I want to target Windows, I want to target all these platforms, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if I was writing my own compiler, or when I do, when I get to the code generation part of it, I would have to write my own code generator to generate the instructions for the different platforms, for the different CPU right. architectures, different linking uh, policies, the binary ABIs. So LLVMIR abstracts this away. Right. It stands years. for it's intermediate representation. Oh yeah, so the, the that was just LLVMIR, and then or excuse me, LLVM abstracts that away, and then IR indeed stands for intermediate representation, and so the LLVM library has a intermediary representation that it, it can generate from basically you generate this LLVMIR in in memory, and it can choose to write this to disk. And mm-hmm. it's somewhat portable. It can be made to be more portable. The, a good example of that is Chrome actually many years ago tried to get the web browsers to rally around a strict subset of LLVMIR. And they called it NACL, and then there was PNACL, the portable variant of it. And, you know, that's what Chrome extension, like some of the native Chrome extensions, that's what they would use, like Flash and stuff like that. But they're now phasing that out because they found in practice that LLVMIR wasn't portable enough. It, it doesn't have the goals of having the smaller bite size to sending over the wire. And just frankly, the other browser vendors were just not interested. You know, it, it was complicated for them to have to pull in. Some of the browser vendors don't use LLVM already inside their, their own browser virtual machines. Mm-hmm. So they would have to pull it in and it just was way complicated. Whereas with WebAssembly, they were able to get this marriage of ideas to make it so that all the browser vendors bought in and they all said, this is something we want to do. This looks good. We can implement this fairly easily in our existing virtual machines. And that's critical, right? Because we as developers don't want browser vendors to have to have their, div- their time divided between two different implementations of virtual machines, JavaScript and WebAssembly. So if they improve performance in one, they, they did not improve the performance in the other. That's not ideal. We want them to have one virtual machine so that they can improve the overall performance of the web. And that's what they want as well. They, they don't want to have to manage a JVM or a separate LLVMIR type of thing. Right. So that, that's in a nutshell. I mean, this is this is a fascinating topic. So, like, what if I was to say want to use WebAssembly? Now, let's maybe there's there's two use cases. Like, let's say that I wanted to maybe not write WebAssembly myself, but I would want to use 
let's say someone had written uh, an Elm compiler that compiled to WebAssembly, or someone had written a JavaScript compiler that compiled to WebAssembly, or someone had written some some language, I, I say, you know what, I'm tired of JavaScript, I want to use this other language, and I want to compile to WebAssembly, what would that development process look like for me? Uh, to be able for, all the way from, hey, I'm working with it on my computer, how do I actually get that code into my browser and then call it from inside JavaScript? So right now, it's a little painful. Uh, <laughs> it's, I would say bleeding edge would be mm-hmm. the, the good phrase. Uh, and yep. that's because it's early, right? right? It's early and the people that are adopting this at this point are mostly people who have a native background. Like they do C, C++, they have some maybe some compiler experience. So they can bug the tooling you know, they actually understand how linking works and stuff like that, which those are all things that get thankfully abstracted away by tooling in most platforms. And WebAssembly is just not there yet. One of the very close, like we're actually very close to having a really great experience because Webpack actually fairly recently got a, I think it's $100,000, a $100,000 grant. I think it's that, don't quote me on that number, but I, I think it was $100,000 from the, the Mozilla Foundation to ex- explicitly to work on WebAssembly support mm-hmm. in Webpack. And so what that will mean is the goals is that you, you will be able to put your C, C++ files in your, in your, your JavaScript code base and, and use Webpack to just compile them magically and link them into your JavaScript application. Mm-hmm. Or to make it trivial to pull in other people's libraries that use WebAssembly, even though you don't know anything about it. Like, right. So how does that work, though? So let's say I've got some module that's written in C that I want to include in my web application. How do I get a reference to that code? Like, let's say I've got some, I don't know, what, maybe it's some, like, even some little embedded game that someone's written. And, you know, I need to be able to render this game inside of a React component or something like that. What might that process look like? Like, how do I actually get the code and call it? Well, today, you would have to manually make some sort of AJAX call to get array buffer, a binary representation of the bytecode. So you'd fetch that WASM file, and then you would have to create a WebAssembly instance and, and pass in any imports that were requested. And then once you've instantiated that, you're going to get back an object that contains all of the exports. And so those anything that that file exports, you've got a reference to them. So if it's got um, a main function, you can call that. If it's got a helper function, you can call that. But keeping in mind that currently you can't pass any garbage collected reference between the two. So you can only like from JavaScript. So, is, so, so I'm gonna let's let's slow down here for a second because that's a lot of information, <laughs> right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna slow you down here. So from what I'm hearing you saying that a no uh, a WebAssembly module is very similar or has strong analogs to a JavaScript module, in the sense that it has a set of imports and it also has a set of exports. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say, yeah. It's pretty. It's actually a pretty standard paradigm, and that the, and that's intentional so that it can be a compilation target for pretty much every language. There's some that'll like have to finesse a little bit to get uh, into that pattern, mm-hmm. but it work. It works for most of them. Anything you import, anything that it, that it that the WebAssembly file needs to import has to be provided at that instantiation time. Right. So you have to give a reference to it so that the internal system can link those methods into right. 
the correct uh, locations. So, for example, if I needed to, and I'm just going to to slowly run over the process that you just described, I'm going to make some AJAX recall to get the actual bytes of the WebAssembly module. Then okay. I'm going to instantiate that module with imports, and that might be th- those are those are things. Those are fun- are they functions or objects that that module needs to operate, like maybe say console log. Right. Uh, you know, like if, if this module needs to log stuff to the console, then I need to actually provide that. Yeah, that's right. Right now, WebAssembly has no way itself to make any kind of side effect, mm-hmm. any kind of external side effect. So that's you can't. Awesome, there's, actually. There's, there's no I.O. You can't. There's no signals. There's no system calls. You don't have any access to any of that. You only have access to imports. So what you give it from JavaScript is the only thing it has access to. In all likelihood, that probably will change at some point because it's not as efficient to foreign function call into JavaScript because whatever it is you're passing has to get converted by the virtual machine into a JavaScript-represented object. And you know that's not nearly as quick as calling some sort of operating system or browser-provided hook directly to WebAssembly itself. Right. And that's not just I theoretical. Mean, like I've done experiments myself exposing my own functions to WebAssembly directly, like uh, a WebAssembly virtual machine, and it's significantly faster. I can make it significantly faster than calling a JavaScript function, per se. Mm-hmm. But, the, but right. that's, that's a really hard thing to spec, because yeah. you, when you start giving them access to fundamental APIs like that, you, there's no going back. You know, you get situate you you get similar so you can get similar situations like the fetch API, where we have an API for making an AJAX call, but we can't cancel it. Like it's it's a non-cancelable AJAX request, which for me like is useless. I there's pretty much no AJAX request that I don't put cancellation logic around. There's some exceptions, but almost all of them I need to be able to cancel it. But yeah, I know I see your problem, and 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 I hope they defer that uh, decision until they can really really get it right. Because it is kind of a beautiful idea that this module kind of exists completely and totally in isolation. And what it sees of the outside world is only in keeping with what you give it. And I think that that idea sits at the very heart of JavaScript, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're downloading code from like some rando like source, from the internet and then <laughs> evaling it. Like the, the first thing you learn in any, mm. like in, in, you know, when programming is like never call eval. And like, that's exactly <laughs> what your browser does. Like, <laughs> like that, 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 but eval like powers the web. And so, so I hope that they do keep that. But however we get those functions, those imports, the things that your WebAssembly module needs to do, then it's going to provide a set of exports Right, some set of functions that then you can call from your JavaScript. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that like fair to say? And so one of those would be named main, for example. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. And you you can you could by convention call it main and call it yourself from JavaScript. Or there's if you're the one controlling the compilation itself, you can actually uh, define an auto run, like a function that's supposed to automatically run when the WebAssembly is evaluated. That's actually right. baked into the the bytecode. Mm-hmm. And so that so, would be and, and kind this, of equivalent to like the main property in your a package.json uh, yeah, is exactly. kind of pointing to the file that is the default export. That's, or, that's exactly right. It's a very good analogy. And so it's also, by the way, likely, I, I don't want to speak 
for them, but it's also likely that if they do ever expose APIs natively to WebAssembly, if you are instantiating this from JavaScript, you might actually get the opportunity to deny that WebAssembly module access to them. Like it may be an optional thing that you, it, the you as the JavaScript owner, like the you're the one instantiating this module, you could decide, I don't want to give them access to these APIs. When I say them, I mean the code, the bytecode right. you're, you're instantiating. Mm-hmm. They may not do that, but there's, you know, I've heard some talk about doing that. And I think it's very clever to be able to do that. Because, like you said, there's some some benefits to that because you can very strictly control what runs. Mm-hmm. When you were talking about importing this um, WASM file into your JavaScript, so there's like a a Watts file and a WASM file. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So, so, what's the uh, difference between the Watts a Watts file or a Watt file and a WASM file? Yeah, there's three file extensions. Oh, three um, file extensions. Okay, I only know yeah. about two. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's WASM, W-A-S-M, yep. which is the actual binary representation, the bytecode. Okay. There's W-A-T, as in like WAT. <laughs> WAT. Mm-hmm. That is the official representation of the binary. So I don't know about you, but I, I don't enjoy reading binary. And particularly because these bytes are actually, uh, a lot of them are compressed. So they run them through, a, by, in the specification itself, there's a compression of the different instructions. So even though, even if I remember some of the instruction, what some of the instruction uh, hexadecimals are, mm-hmm. uh, they won't be what I see in the actual like hex reader because they're compressed. So yeah. they have a textual representation of that. And it's, it's kind of like assembly, like, it's actually exactly like that. Like a yeah. lot of people will write assembly language, which is a textual representation that actually just is representing the machine code that that will get compiled down to. Mm-hmm. It's just for humans to be able to read it and write it. And yeah. so that's the WAT. And so if you so basically... Like in, in WAT, you would see like the text add, right? Whereas, you know, like add register one with register two. I guess you don't have registered, but like you'd, you'd, you know, you'd have a push thing on the stack. But it would say push in the WAT file, but in the WASM file, it would just be, you know, rando bytes. Not rando bytes, but it would would be unintelligible. Yeah, yeah, it'd be hexadecimals, Mm. and and they'd be compressed hexadecimals, so you would not easily be able to know them unless you remember what the compressed form is. So that's WAT, and that will be used, that that format will get used in your browser if you don't have source maps. Uh, WebAssembly doesn't have source maps right now, unfortunately, because they did a really good job of not holding back a 1.0 simply because they don't have every feature under the sun. Like that's what a lot of projects do wrong is they, they hold that, hold back that 1.0 until they have every feature that they can imagine. They're like, Oh, well we shouldn't even ship this before we have source maps and we shouldn't even ship this before we have garbage collection and all these things. They decided very early that this is going to be very slim at the beginning and then they'll incrementally add more and more and more because they've found that that process followed by, uh, like the ECMAScript specification follows the exact same process now. And they found that that works really, really well. Do very incremental. Um, it's totally okay to defer things and kick them down the road. So because there's no source maps right now, that's the, uh, the format you will actually see in the browser. And there, it's the binary representation is represented in S expressions. And if you've never heard of S expressions, if you've seen Lisp, it looks just like Lisp. It's not Lisp, obviously, but Lisp invented S expressions, and so that's why they're um, corollary. So it's 
They're just great... beautiful. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of I'm a big <laughs> oh, fan really? of S expressions because yeah. because there's no there's it's completely unambiguous. You can see the syntax tree is represented in the text format unambiguously. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, and that's why they picked it is because it's it's non-confrontational. There's there's no there's very little sugar. It's mm-hmm. super easy to parse, in fact, actually. So all the tooling, there's a bunch of tooling like Wabbit and Binarian and stuff like that that all know about this format. And, and so you can write this, you can write WebAssembly by hand if you wanted to. Um, and I actually, and some, like people who do with compilers, like myself, and I do it in my spare time, but end up writing quite a bit of WebAssembly by hand in the textual representation that is. Mostly debugging stuff, like your compiler is emitting some WebAssembly and it's not working how you expect, so you convert it to textual representation. And then you're looking through it, you're like, hmm, I think that's the issue. You know, I modify it a little bit by hand and then I try it again. Like I compile it back down to the binary version and then I try it again, those type of things. And then like also prototyping when I'm generating the web, with the WebAssembly code. I'll like go into my little uh, local host REPL and I'll prototype what I want the code to be generated as, you know, roughly. It's because it's sometimes it's it's harder to generate a deal because all of these things are like abstractions on top of abstractions on top of abstractions. So it gets you get really far removed from it and it gets hard to um, when you're writing the compiler visualize exactly what the code will actually end up being. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that leads me to two follow-on questions. First of all, you dropped uh, the name of a tool, which I I love the name of the tool, Wabbit. Um, Wabbit, yeah. Could you uh, <laughs> could you? Um, I actually, yeah, I, I love that the name of that tool. There's actually a great set of tool names around a uh, uh, Wasm. But what is what are what are Wabbit and Binarian? Yeah, w- Wabbit is they're very re- closely what, related. What does it stand for, by the way? Uh, I think it's WebAssembly Binary uh, Toolkit. I think. Yeah, so it's W-A-B-T, pronounced Wabbit. Yes, that's right, Wabbit, W-A-B-T. So it's, (laughs) and I love that name, yeah. (laughs) Wabbit is is mostly for dealing with binaries themselves, like the binary and textual representation stuff. So it's like converting the text to the uh, binary, binary to the text, decoding and uh, desugaring things. Uh, It also has a very early uh, version of a linker so that you can, if you have multiple WebAssembly files, and they have a uh, relinking table, like they have a table that has the locations. It's a location table. So it says like at this index in the binary is a function call, and so that that you should actually replace that byte with um, the actual location of the function when when you link them together. Because mm-hmm. that's what happens is you've got a binary representation, and you're in your code you're calling external functions, right? And you don't actually know what function, like what that function actually is and where it's located in the actual number of the, like the index of the function references. So this linking, this linking like, tool. You won't know until you actually uh, download it and try to run it, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It does do linking then. But there's also in compilers. So like if you wanted to compile individual files, mm-hmm. you would have to compile the individual file knowing that the the reference that it points to like the fu- functions that it that it imports may actually change mm-hmm. because you know if you have one file that changes the other file doesn't change if you want to combine them together again you have to link them uh, right mm-hmm. so this linking tool will will help with that process as long as the the files have this uh, uh, right. location table in it so, so it, this is like it, this is like if I've got mul- like I'm still going to be shipping one kind of WebAssembly thing, 
but I want to compose mm-hmm. like, you know, I might have in my game to use that example, I might have one to deal with like one set of functions dealing with damage and one set of functions dealing with like location, uh, and one set of functions dealing with like, you know, multiplayer, uh, but I only want to deliver one thing and they're going to have, they're going to call each other. These three modules are going to call each other. So I want to combine them into one and that's when the linking happens. That's exactly right. Yes. Okay. And so the, there's a difference between the binary that you will run in your browser and binaries that you may distribute either on NPM or or your compiler generates them because it'll generate, it'll generate WebAssembly files that are basically intermediary formats that mm-hmm. They technically could not run. Like if you imported right. that file in a browser, it wouldn't know. It would air out because it, the function that it's looking for is wouldn't be available. Like you wouldn't be provided. You'd have to provide it via JavaScript, and then right. it would work. But it's got this location table, this relocation table, to tell you in the index like the offset and the byte, so that it can it can combine all of those modules together. And so right. that's that's Wabbit. It's got a bunch of different. It's huh. it's mainly dealing with the binary stuff. Then we've got Binarian, which is it has some binary applications to, to help with that, but mostly it's, a, it's for generation of the actual WebAssembly itself. It's mostly a library. So if you're writing a compiler and you want to generate WebAssembly, you can actually use Binarian. It has methods and classes that you, and also it has a C interface as well, that you can create instances of these instructions and compose them together, and then it will generate the actual binary representation for you automatically. And so it's very helpful for some compilers. Some of the early WebAssembly compilers used Binarian. Uh, some of the early Rust stuff used Binarian, and Mscripten currently uses Binarian for certain things. Long term, it's, it's unclear to me uh, whether Binarian will get a lot of use. It's, it seems more like it's a short-term thing because LLVM itself is is gaining a lot of the features that Binarian has. Mm-hmm. So it will, but but LLVM is a monster. It's a huge project, so it, it moves significantly slower than you know creating your own dedicated project like Binarian. So would you recommend using Wabbit instead? If you're like, if you wanted to jump into this stuff, uh, where would you use as a starting point? If you're going to be dealing with WebAssembly itself, you're not just using tooling that generates it and then that's all you do. If you're actually going to be playing with the WebAssembly itself, yeah, Wabbit is great. Like you, you definitely should download it and use it, because, especially because you know it's the easiest way to convert the WebAssembly to the the watch, the textual representation. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, circling back, just this will be really quick. There was one other file format I forgot to mention that we were talking about, which is the WAST format. And that is basically, it's a uh, superset of the WAT format. It contains everything. It's, it's still S expressions, but it's, it's a format for testing. It, it allows multiple modules within a single file. It allows top level assertions and stuff like that. So it's mostly for people who are building WebAssembly tooling, not stuff that the normal um, WebAssembly consumers will have to deal with thankfully i see so yeah definitely download wabbit if you're interested in the WebAssembly stuff if you're if you're interested in playing but you don't really want to deal with the actual assembly aspect of it like you don't want to look at it 
but you do want to play, mscripten is currently like the the main way to get started with WebAssembly. It's if you write your code in C or C++, you can compile down to WebAssembly using it. It works fairly well actually for how early it is. And so that that will provide you with a C standard library that you can link against that is implemented uh, like it implements the hooks that you need in JavaScript so that mm-hmm. you can do things like, you know, you have timers and you have all your I.O. and your WebGL and all that stuff. It provides all of that for you. So then I had one final question that I really wanted to ask is, so we talked about how, you know, you might, you know, download uh, a WebAssembly module, instantiate it and run it, you know, in your application. What if you want to consume it as a library? I guess, is this what the Webpack work is, is surrounded? Like, let's say I've just got a single function that I want to just kind of like import and kind of I don't really want to treat it like anything other than just a normal JavaScript function uh, that I pass value, you know, I, maybe I pass like an integer to, maybe if I want to do like fast date math uh, mm-hmm. or something like that, or I want to have some sort of scientific computing. I don't want to bootstrap this thing, you know, I don't have to worry about the mechanics of downloading it and everything. I'd rather just kind of just, like I said, import it like a JavaScript module, not really know that it's a JavaScript module. I mean, that's one of the things that's nice about the, the JVM languages uh, is a lot of times you don't really even need to know that something is not written in Java. Interoperability is that good. Um, so I could be, you know, calling, you know, a Scala library from Clojure. And if certain bindings are maintained, I won't ever know the difference or I, I won't care. I might know uh, in the abstract. <laughs> like I know, I, I know about it, but I don't have to take, I don't have to make affordances for it. Um, Sure. Yeah. In those cases, Webpack is going to be perfect for that and very, very helpful. So you will download, let's say you have, let's say in the future they add garbage collection, which they're working on now, and you write your own 64-bit, your own JSON parser that supports 64-bit integers, let's say, because the current one does not. Uh, Let's say that that's what you do. And you publish that to NPM and it uses WebAssembly. There's no way around the fact that the person using this will have to will have to know or acknowledge you know they have to acknowledge that it uses WebAssembly because it has to be loaded in some fashion. But if they're using Webpack, the they only really just have to know they they actually don't even technically need to know it because Webpack will just transparently support this. Mm-hmm. But they still should know it just you know because obviously if you, if you decide I don't want to use Webpack that would screw you because. Right. <laughs> you, you need that abstraction, that tooling that that will basically they're they're going through iterations and, and processes right now, so it's not set in stone. But it sounds like by default they're gonna probably combine all the WebAssembly files together into a single one and probably share a single linear memory. It's it's kind of there's pros and cons to them each getting their own memory and but then there's pros and cons to the other way around of them sharing the same memory. So it's not clear which one is going to be which. It probably would be configurable regardless, but it's not clear which one will happen by default. And if if that is all alien to you, not you, I mean the the listeners, if that's alien to you, what that means, then don't worry about it because that's what Webpack people are worrying about. They're worrying about that so that you don't have to. Right. So that you can just import it as a literally as a JavaScript module, uh, mm-hmm. and you can say you know import main from my game implemented in. Uh, WebAssembly, and then you just say, you know, you just call the main function. You know, mm-hmm. maybe or import parse JSON from 64-bit right. JSON package, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it just, it just works. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's the, the end goal. We're not there yet, but that's the end right. goal, and it seems very doable. 
Well, cool. Well, thank you so much, Jay, for coming on the show and talking to us about WebAssembly. It really is, uh, it really is a fascinating topic. Um, is there anything else that you want to, to share with our listeners who might be curious about it? Sure. I would say the last thing I wanted to say was just that a lot of people ask me when I talk about WebAssembly, is this going to replace JavaScript? Like, either are people going to use other languages instead of JavaScript, or, or am I going to compile my JavaScript down to WebAssembly? And the answer to both of those is probably no, at least in the very, you know, in the in in the near term, in the, in, the, in the next five to ten years, it's highly unlikely that JavaScript is going anywhere. It's to open up new opportunities, opportunities that didn't really exist in JavaScript or didn't, weren't feasible in JavaScript. That being said, WebAssembly will open the door for incredible innovation. You know, like languages like Elm and Reason, which are radical new takes on programming for the web, they'll get an efficient target. I, I, I think that a lot of new languages will actually get a lot. There'll be a, I think there'll actually be a lot of new languages that target the web mm-hmm. and they'll target WebAssembly. So it's possible that in 10 years from now, we're all writing Elm or <laughs> we're all writing Reason or some new programming language that hasn't even been written yet. But JavaScript is, is such a great, it's a beloved language and it's, it's <laughs> so easy to write. It's hated as well. It's, it's hated by, <laughs> but it is, okay, let's be honest though. It is so, it is so easy to get started with. You I love, I love JavaScript. Open up the browser. You I mean, you put your, you put your code in a strip tag, you open up the browser and it just works. You know, like how, how beautiful is that? No, like nearly no other languages has that type of uh, support except for something like PHP. <laughs> Right. And that's why PHP is so popular. Same reason. It's just so trivial to get started with that it's a great gateway drug into programming. And so, yeah. and I, it's also just great for the the average website. You know, if you, if you are a document-based website, JavaScript is great for that. Add some basic click handlers, stuff like that. But if you're trying to write an application, that's where we're hitting the brick wall. So, and then as far as compiling JavaScript down to it, um, the, it's a really complex problem. But the, the TLDR is that you are not likely to be, JavaScript is such a dynamic language that you're not likely to be able to compile JavaScript to a format that would be small, smaller than what the text would be. It'd probably be significantly larger because you have to have all these runtime checks. Then it also would be probably significantly slower because a lot of things, because JavaScript is so dynamic, you'd have to have either dynamic checks or you'd have to ship your own virtual machine, neither of which you know is super feasible, but, but we'll see. And there's also the ability for and the opportunity for subsets of JavaScript or subsets of TypeScript more aptly. There's languages like TurboScript, which are, uh, there's also AssemblyScript, which is almost the same thing. And they're basically subsets of TypeScript. So they're basically C with a, with a TypeScript-like syntax. So you can't do dynamic things, like you can't do dynamic keys, and you still have to do memory management yourself, but you're closer to the metal with a familiar syntax. So it's not JavaScript, but it's, it's still familiar. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's certainly, if anything, and the kind of Cambrian explosion of languages and innovation that happened on the JVM, Mm -hmm. uh, like 10 years ago might actually serve as a, uh, an appropriate model. I would say far from causing the death of Java, it actually, you know, extended its life and made it interesting because you have all these kind of new and innovative languages, but sitting at the core of it all, making them interoperate is, uh, is Java. 
And I think the same can be said here, right? It's, you know, the, all these things that are going to be coming, you know, they're going to share one thing in common and that's interoperability with JavaScript. And so in many ways, I think that there's some strong analogies there, right? Absolutely. Um, so, so I agree 100%. Like, I don't, I think this is going to be a boon for JavaScript, uh, and, and the community, you know, it's just yeah, going to make it and larger. WebAssembly, and WebAssembly actually is not just for the web. That's, uh, WebAssembly is actually a misnomer. It is neither designed specific. I mean, it's, they designed it for intent for the be the web, but there's already people using it in cases like, uh, there's Ethereum, which is like one of those, like, uh, Ugh. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's related it's a, to like like the mining, the Bitcoin type of mm-hmm. mining stuff. It's like my, my understanding. I don't know a lot about it, but my understanding is it's more of a platform for doing the computation, like a a platform where you can buy like time essentially or or units on this platform. And they they have a virtual machine currently that's just custom made, but they're moving towards a WebAssembly virtual machine. So people will write their C and C++ code, it will compile them to WebAssembly, and then it'll run in their um, Ethereum virtual machine environment in the cloud. So this is server-side stuff. And why would they do that? Because it's all the same goals that they want are in line with this. And it's similar goals to like the Java stuff, but it makes C and C++ code more natural to compile down to. Compiling C and C++ to Java is, is not a great <laughs> experience mm-hmm. from a compiler standpoint. All righty. Well, that's a lot to take in, I'm sure. It is It is a lot to take in. But luckily, we as, uh, as people and as a community have uh, years and years and years to do so because this is only going to grow in relevance. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and if you're in the, I mean, I'm, a little plug. <laughs> if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, I am speaking at QCon SF here in November about WebAssembly. And so I'll, I'm going to get a little more deeper into it and give some actual concrete examples. And you'll walk away you know, knowing what an instruction looks like and how the stack machine works and stuff like that. I'm also giving a similar talk at All Things Open in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, I believe it is. Uh, I think that's at the end of October. So, okay. if, and if you if you end up going to either one of those, please feel free to 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 find me afterwards. I'd love talking. You know, obviously I'm here, so I love talking about this stuff. I'll answer any questions, and you know, if I can't have the answer, uh, which I, I'm sure there's a lot of questions I don't know the answer to, I I probably know the people who do know the answer, so I can put you in touch with them as well. All right. Well, fantastic. If you live in those areas, or if you don't. Uh, maybe you should should be there <laughs> for those dates, and uh, we'll be sure to link those uh, in the show notes. So, alrighty, thank you, Jay. Thank you, Elric. Thank, thank you, you for having me on again. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yep, and uh, we will see everybody else next week. So remember, you can get in touch. I guess we should, even though this is the same guest as we had last week, we should go ahead and if people do want to have that conversation and they don't want to travel to San Francisco or Atlanta, uh, how can they get in touch with you on the interwebs? The the best way is Twitter. So I'm at underscore J-A-Y-P-H-E-L-P-S. So at underscore J Phelps. All right. And you can get in touch with us at the front side on Twitter and contact at frontside.io on email. We'd love to hear from you. Bye, all. Bye, all. Bye. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>